When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Are we supposed to get married? I'm going to just swipe I just want somebody to share my life with. You know, we talk all the time about create the life you want. We don't talk about create the relationship you want. You can keep waiting for the fairy tale. Or you can get on board with the new rules of relationships. If you've read my advice in the LA Times, then you know this ain't your mama's love advice. This is Dates and Mates with Damona Hoffman. Lovers, 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 thanks for joining me for another illuminating episode of Dates and Mates. Do you ever feel like traditional dating and relationships just won't work for you? Maybe you're on your own timeline or you have a different idea of gender roles or maybe your end goal for a relationship isn't what society is telling you that you should want. Well, our guest today is my friend, freelance writer and certified love, life and dating coach, Deb Biesinger. And she's here to let you know that times are changing and that now's the time to design your own relationship. But before we get into all of that, we've got a dish. The headlines this week are, is the economy what's actually keeping you single? And have you been stranded in the talking stage? I'll tell you what it is and how to move through it with ease. Then later in the show, I'll answer your questions, including, I have dyslexia. When is the right time to reveal this part of myself to the people I'm dating? And I trusted my gut and I spent the night on the first date. Is it okay if I'm letting go of typical relationship timelines? Mmm, it's gonna be a juicy one. So let's dish. D's dating dish. Insider.com says single women are losing in today's economy. The subheadline says everything. Sometimes it feels like everyone is pushing women to get married, even the US government. This is a perfect topic to talk about on a day when we're talking about designing your own relationships with Deb Biesinger. Look, I'm going to tell you some deeply disappointing information about the U.S. economy, but I'm not saying it because I want to discourage you. I'm saying it, as always, because I want to educate you. And I'm still grappling with all these societal conditions that are in place that are really relics of a bygone era and don't really affect how we live today. And yet we're almost shoehorned into choices that may not serve us. And look, I say all of this being happily married. My husband and I are coming up on 15 years of marriage. So I'm very much pro marriage, but I'm equally pro you living the life that you want to live. And for a long time, women have, look, it's no secret. Women do not make the same amount of money as men. And if you are women of color like me, sorry to say you are penalized even further as a societal whole. Of course, there are high earning women of color. Of course, there are high earning women. 
But I digress. What I'm interested in is in just the day-to-day living. We've gotten questions also about finances in relationships, but it's it's really stark when you look at things like home ownership. According to data from Bank of America that was released last month, about 65% of single women said that they would rather not wait until they were married to buy homes. But guess what? Where are these homes they're going to buy? Because when you are single and living alone, you're paying for everything. You have no one to split the bills with. And furthermore, this article also states that when you are single, you invest a lot in your friendships and your family relationships. And so you may also be paying out more to give gifts to people, to spend time with people, to go out with people, and to keep this social circle robust when if you were married or in a relationship, you might just stay home and that would be cheaper and still meet your needs. And so this housing crisis is deeply concerning, particularly for women. I even noticed that they're worried about taking financial control. They're worried about having their own home and whether that sends a message to men that they don't have space for them in their life because they've already got everything figured out. So, of course, one answer could be, well, just get married because you'll save on taxes, certainly. (laughs) According to this article, uh, in 1948, joint filing was implemented to let married couples combine their incomes for tax purposes. And couples in which one partner earns all or most of the income actually get a marriage bonus in which the higher earner's bracket can drop after marriage. And so couples are getting all of these tax breaks that singles don't have access to. And, you know, health care and Social Security and retirement accounts also follow suit. And spouses can get half of their partner's Social Security benefit. And income limits are higher for IRAs and Roth IRAs. If you're married, I mean, so that's one option because the system is so weighted in that in that direction. But I don't want you just marrying for financial security. So here's my fix for this. And of course, we'll put the link to the article in the show notes. I would like to propose that women and other singles join into single pots because then you can buy things in bulk, get your Costco membership and split things up. You can have your social circle and the people that you already associate with and you don't have to go out so much to associate and you have ways to split expenses. You don't necessarily need to be married or in partnership to have someone to lighten the load. There's a real epidemic of single people living solo. And I think we've seen through the pandemic how absolutely devastating and detrimental that can be. We need human contact. And so if you are single, I don't want you rushing into a relationship because you want that void filled. I want you to choose the pot of people that you are spending your time with and that you are divvying up your household and life responsibilities with. I also think if you got it, girl, you should buy it. I am 100% in favor of home ownership for women. I think building generational wealth is the road to equity. But if we stay small and we play small and we come from this place of scarcity and we let all of these conditions continue to dictate what we should do with our life and our relationships and the choices that we make, then we're going to be stuck in this place of dissonance for I don't even know how much longer. So obviously we need more women in leadership. We need to be moving towards more gender equity. 
And there are little micro choices that you, yes, you, regardless of your gender or sexual identity, can make that can flip the script for us all. Glamour Magazine asks, what's the talking stage? And then answers, it's the newest form of dating torture. According to this article, the talking stage is a label coined by Gen Zers to describe a maddening, undefined early stage of many relationships. I think this is really cute because I am not Gen Z, but I love how Gen Z likes to stamp their claim on terms or belief systems or labels that uh, they didn't come up with. Y'all, Gen X millennials here have been saying talking forever. But regardless of your age, you get it, right? This is like, we're talking. We're not really dating. It's not quite a situationship, and the article kind of nods to that. I think a situationship is even a little bit more defined, like you're getting something out of it. But talking is really like, it's really the new word for courtship. But it's like a lot less cute. (laughs) They interviewed my friend Logan Yuri, and she said, one big trend we're seeing among Gen Z daters is that they are becoming more comfortable navigating ambiguity, though. And there's less attachment to titles and there's more fluidity in general. And I would agree with that. I would love to see it for other generations as well, because I think we are so attached to these titles. And the article also states that more people today of all generations are getting more intentional about who they are and what they're looking for. Does this ring any bells for my longtime listeners? Like, what have I been talking about all this time? So I I look at it a little bit differently than this Glamour article. I think the talking stage is a necessary part. This is more what I call the screening stage to the people who are in my program. But the screening stage then has to move into some sort of definition. And here's the thing I want you to, to embrace. The definition may be a different definition than any relationship you've had in the past. And a definition doesn't have to mean defining as boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, partners, married. That does not have to be the definition. But as Logan says in this article, if you are kind of moving into that period of ambiguity and it becomes what you would call a situationship where you're getting some of your needs met and it's it's some level of commitment or some level of physical connection, but it's not really what you want. That's really how I separate the talking stage from a situationship. A situationship is like, I don't actually really want to be in this. And according to Logan's data at Hinge, 62% of their users said that their last situationship left them feeling disappointed. And more than a third said that they were upset. And I am not surprised. In fact, I think it would probably be higher if people were being absolutely honest with themselves. So my my vote is that we skip over the situationship phase, right? And that we get to a period of definition more quickly. And Logan says, the best way to avoid a situationship is to be clear on three things. What do I want? What do they want? And have we talked about it? And that last piece is the one that I'm going to lean on more heavily. Have we talked about it? You have to have clarity on what you want, but if you don't express that to the other person, you're just making assumptions, maybe based on past relationships, maybe based on what your definition of certain actions is, when it may mean something completely different to that person. And that's when you get the upset, disappointed feelings that the Hinge users were talking about. 
I will also add one last thing to remember you are in control of your dating destiny. So if you dislike ambiguity as much as I do, end it. You do not have to accept this. You do not have to accept ambiguity. And so many people are addicted to the getting to the end of the story and the fantasy happily ever after that we dream of that we're not looking at the facts in front of us. So if you're in the situationship and it's not being defined or you don't like how it's being defined, remember you have choice. And on the flip side, if you're comfortable with a friends with benefits situation and that suits your needs right now, because remember Logan said, what do I want and what do they want? If that suits both of your needs, don't make it an issue. Let it be okay. I love clarity, but clarity can sometimes be the alternative perspective and the, the less popular choice. And if that works for you and the person that you're dating, then let it be good. Well, regardless of what you want in a relationship, I believe you can find it online. And if you need help creating your dating profile, I've got just the tool for you. It's my free dating profile starter kit. It will help you to create a winning profile that will magnetize the right matches to you. And best of all, right now, it's free. You can find it at datesandmates.com. When we come back, we will give you the roadmap for designing your own relationship with my friend, Deb Biesinger. Stick around. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back. You are in for a treat because I have Deb Biesinger with me today. She is a certified love, life, and dating coach. She is the founder of Kiss of Perspective, a coaching program where she teaches clients how to design their own relationship. She is also the author of Bound and Gagged by Christianity, The Sins That Set Me Free, which is her personal story of leaving fundamental Christianity and finding the religion of love. Please give big smooches to my friend, Deb Biesinger. Deb, I'm so excited to finally have you on Dates and Mates. We've been knowing each other for a minute, girl. I know. I can't believe I'm excited. I know. And you you listen to the show, too. And so, you know, you know how you know how I roll, basically. (laughs) Yeah. You know that I'm I'm not really a big fan of societal expectations, let's call it. And I, I think that bleeds into a lot of different areas, whether it's the timeline that we should be on for our relationship or whether it's, you know, just how our upbringing may impact the way that we choose mates Mm. or how we even show up like in terms of gender identity. And I'm just so glad that we're examining these things. And I'm so glad that you're having the same conversations in your coaching practice that I am. Let's just start at the top. Like whenever I start with a client, I always say, where do you want to be at the end of this process? Or what's your relationship goal? And you're seeing that the relationship goal is kind of shifting than maybe it was 10 or 15 or 20 years ago. Mm, yeah. Well, I've been in this business eight years and I saw it starting to shift 
even before the pandemic. And then I, I like, I think a lot of people in our industry went into the pandemic thinking, oh, everyone's going to want to settle down after they get out of lockdown, right? But I've actually seen it turn around in some exciting ways. Some people I've heard say, I never thought I could be alone. And I found out during that initial lockdown we had, you know, that I kind of like having my alone time. And I didn't know that about myself before. I have to jump in because this is really resonating for me. Before I met my husband, serial dater, not monogamous, (laughs) makeup bandit, as Drew Barrymore says. (laughs) (laughs) And I started working with a coach, not as a dating coach, a life coach. And Mm -hmm. she helped me identify that I was terrified of being alone, not terrified of Mm. not being in a relationship. I was terrified of literally being alone. I filled my schedule to the brim. I was going Mm. from coffee date to, you know, get my nails done with friends to, you know, going to the movie. And my schedule was packed. And she's like, where's the room for you? How do you help clients figure out where they need to create space for themselves in their life? One thing, and I mean, this is kind of a side note, but one thing I realized early on is that I would work with some clients who, you know, maybe they're in their late 30s, they're feeling the pressure to get married and start a family, and but they become workaholics in the process. And then we get down to the, like, because in my program, you don't date the first eight weeks of my 10-week program. And, you know, we get down to that, and then they realize, oh, I only have five hours a week to like even get to know someone. So if it's someone like that, they don't even have five hours a week for themselves either. So I think that all plays in together. But one thing I try to do is ask them in your perfect world, how do you spend your time and how does a partner factor into that? And, you know, we always talk a ton about values. I know you do too, but also, you know, like how do you like to spend your free time? I actually need a lot of alone time myself, but how do you spend your free time? How do you picture your together time? You know, how do you see time with friends with a partner? Do you want that? Some people don't. Some people like to have their own friends just for them. And, the, you know, they don't really care if they have a couple friends. Guilty as you know, charged. You know, I've been divorced a long time now, but in my marriage, we kind of had, you know, I had my friends and we had a couple, couple friends, but, you know, mostly... I was doing my thing and he would do his. I think that can be very healthy for a relationship. But you kind of blew my mind for a second when you said you don't, in your program, people don't date for eight weeks. Yeah. What are they doing? (laughs) They're getting really clear on what they want, what makes sense for them, what they have to offer, get rid of stories in their head. Do you feel that if they put themselves out there too early into the process Like, how does that impact the choices that they make or the experience that they have? Well, I feel like anyone who's been online dating for half a minute realizes that the bulk of the people, or at least half, are just threw something on the wall to see what would stick and aren't really invested in the process. And a lot of people start out that way. They don't get the results they want. They give up on it. They think online dating is bad. And it's really because they didn't do all the work they should have done to get ready to get into a relationship or get ready to date. You know, in my program, we're really taking the steps to get you in that ideal place and to get really clear on what you want. And part of that is like, what kind of relationship do you think is going to work for you? Right. That's so true. Cosign all of that. And as we're talking about 
these expectations. I'm seeing a big trend. Like um, the New York Times wrote this article on lat relationships. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Living apart together. Yes. And big fan. You're okay, you're a big fan. Talk to me about this. Cause for most, I would say most of my clients that come to me for coaching, they're still like, okay, marriage is the goal. Mm-hmm. The the steps are date, 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 move in together, get married, have kids, picket fence, happily ever after. Right. But that doesn't have to be it. The relationship escalator. Yeah. <laughs> I'm That's on it. The thing. That's the thing. Yeah. <laughs> well, I know, for instance, I'll just use myself as an example. I do not enjoy sharing a bed with someone. I'm a fussy sleeper and I need everything just so. So for me, any long term goal would not include sharing a bed <laughs> with <laughs> with someone because I, you know, need everything just so or I don't sleep well. And I, you know, sacrificed that in the past. At this point, not willing to do it anymore. So for me, and and that may mean separate bedrooms. It could mean separate houses, you know, whatever. But but that's for me. But I have a client recently who got married. I think it was just in January. It might have been into last year. And they live two hours apart. They don't plan to change it. Everyone is asking them, when are you? When are? When is? When are you going to move? And who's going to move? And they're like, we're not. This is our. This is what we want. This is what we're doing. That's wow. Two hours is that's a it's not quite a long distance relationship. Yeah, it's sort of a new category, Deb. Right. Honestly, honestly, how do you make that work? Because, you know, I'll just own the fact that my relationship conditioning and I guess role models in relationship, there was no model for that. That didn't exist. Right. And I do. We've talked about long distance relationships on the show before. And I had a boss at one point when I worked at NBC who was bi-coastal and would literally Mm. go back and forth. Um, His wife was in New York. His primary job was in L.A. His two kids were in New York and he just flew back and forth every weekend, which does explain why he constantly had bronchitis, but does not (laughs) explain how he made it work and how your client makes it work being two two hours away from her partner. Well, I don't know exactly how their day to day goes, but I mean, I think there's a lot, there's so many more opportunities. I think doing that 10, 15 years ago would even be harder than it is today. We've all got very used to video chatting, whether we wanted to or not these last couple of years. Um, you know, the, there's different things, just like doing virtual dates. You can still do that with a partner that's far away, you know? Yeah. It takes a little bit more intentionality, I guess. I think so. And I do think people that are, I call them designer relationships, meaning you designed your own, you know, people that get into designer relationships have to have a higher level of emotional intelligence to one, know what would really work with them, but also be able to communicate with their partner, keep checking in that it's working the way they want it to and tweaking what isn't, you know, so I do think that um, I don't think everybody is probably suited <laughs> to do something like that, for sure, you know. Um, but I do think that, you know, we talk all the time about create the life you want. But for some reason, we don't talk about create the relationship you want. Totally. And as you alluded to earlier, the pandemic, in a way, has set us up for this reevaluation, right? I think so, yeah. It's like the, all this time that we 
are spent, like we have to spend alone. We're like, I guess I'm going to have to do some self-reflection or something. (laughs) That might've helped too. But, you know, I think, I think it really did help people understand that there are different options, you know, and that, because I mean, the people who were married and stuck in the house with their partner didn't necessarily have a better experience than people who found themselves single when the pandemic happened and were alone. You know, there were different, there were pros and cons to both things, obviously. Certainly, especially if you had kids at home. I'm just saying, I'm just saying. You know, another thing that I feel like is coming up a lot, I'm seeing a big trend looking at the OkCupid data is how we look at gender roles and gender identity in relationship. Like there's been a huge increase. I think it's a 29% increase in people on OkCupid identifying as non-binary. Right. And up on all the categories, like on people identifying as as bisexual, pansexual, all of it. And, you know, I, I would say the majority of our listeners are hetero. Right. Like me. So boring. I know. <laughs> but I, I think it's also interesting to take this time to reevaluate just the the your own gender identity and dynamics in relationships. Like this was something that I did do before I met mm-hmm. my husband. I know I'm I'm pretty high on the feminine scale, but I'm also pretty high on the masculine scale. And I didn't necessarily need a label Mm. for it, but I knew that I wasn't as attracted to guys who were like uber masculine and I would Mm. need a guy that had some sensitivity, some femininity, which my husband unabashedly acknowledges that he has. So talk to me about like your philosophy on on that because there's a lot there's a lot of info out there about like oh well if you're a woman you're a heterosexual woman you just to attract a man you know put on a skirt (laughs) I was just on interview that yesterday and she was like I don't want to um I don't I don't like wearing skirts like I'm more comfortable like this and everybody's telling me put on a dress and you can catch a man and I'm like no don't do that because that's not you right I'm super feminine but I would never tell someone they had to be like that to attract anyone because you know if you can't be authentic you're not going to find real love anyway and so you really have to be who you are and you know a lot of people like to take a swing at gen z but i think they actually are a little more emotionally intelligent than us older ones you know i think they have all because their culture and society culture you know based on who they're surrounded with has stopped and thought about these things of like, well, how do I identify how, what kind of person do I want to be with? But you know, for years, and I bet this has happened to you too, because I coach a lot of men too. In fact, sometimes I have way more male clients than female. And, you know, I find that there are men who, if we're going to categorize them, they're demisexual, meaning they need the emotional connection before they can get intimate with someone. But society has told them, well, that's not masculine, dude, you know, and Mm -hmm. society has told them that's not normal or you're too feminine or whatever, if you think that way. And actually, it's it's now classified as a a whole orientation. I didn't even know that. Honestly, this is going back a few years, but I remember we covered on the show when John Legend was was named the sexiest man alive, oh, right. which I mean, I don't know about alive, but he's pretty damn sexy because he is cute. He is talented. Yeah. 
I mean, he is smart. Right. And and people were saying, like, this is the rise of the wife guys. They were calling him a wife guy because Chrissy is so yeah. bold and he is seemingly so sensitive. Mm. They're like, oh, now wife guys are going to take over. And I'm like, we need more wife guys. Why are we why are we villainizing this? Exactly. Yeah. We need sensitivity. We, we all like, you know, I talk about this on the show. We all need more empathy. I just get frustrated with the whole masculine versus feminine qualities anyway, because one thing I say often when I'm, that subject comes up is if women were all feminine all the time and men were all masculine all the time, the men would beat each other up and kill each other. And the women would be in puddles in the floor crying our eyes out. Like we all have to balance both of these things all the time. So to say that, you know, just because you were born a certain way, you therefore have to have these characteristics in abundance over these characteristics is ridiculous. It is ridiculous. I do, however, believe there is value in understanding the various parts of ourselves. Sure. And sometimes we need to turn up the volume on certain parts and sometimes we need to turn down the volume on sure. others. So like I have my clients, if they're coming from work where they're in, it's not even a masculine energy, but they're in work mode where they're probably trying to focus, trying to get ahead, not not accepting advances, not flirting. Right. And then they go right to a date. It's a different energy that they need to turn up the heat on, right? Oh, this is one of my things too, because I'm very against lunch dates for that very reason. Unless it's on a weekend. But I've been with lunch dates on men that I was already, you know, had been seeing. They're like a different human if you get them during lunch on a work day. Because they're still, they're either thinking about what they got to go back to, or they haven't quite detached from whatever they were in the middle of when they left for lunch and they want to be with me. It's not about me, but you know, they're just distracted. So you can't be fully present. But one thing I tell my clients to do is to have a jam song. So like a song you can sing at the top of your lungs if you're driving from work to a date, you know, that you can really pump it up and just get get into a different mode of energy, you know, and then change one thing about your appearance, whether it's, you know, if you're wearing a suit, then you take your tie off and, you know, maybe change your shirt or, you know, put on your best lipstick and, you know, jewelry or change something just to get your brain to realize, okay, I'm shifting into a different gear, you know. I did that for you today, Deb. You did? I was, I was like in mom mode. And then I was like, I'm about to talk to Deb B. Singer, so I'm going to put my hair up and slap some lipstick on. I love lipstick. Lipstick changes I everything. I've missed <laughs> lipstick so much during the pandemic, you know, because yeah, because the masks, right? Yeah. <laughs> I do want to talk a little bit. You have you have a fantastic book mm-hmm. about your own experience called Bound and Gagged by Christianity and the Sins That Set Me Free. Yeah. So as we're talking about expectations. Like, I don't come from a very religious Mm. background, in case y'all can't tell, (laughs) but I know some of our listeners might. Mm. And I do find sometimes when I'm coaching people that these expectations that are drilled into us from a young age, you, you at the age of nine, your family got swept up into a fundamentalist Christian church that really shifted your entire Mm. life. I'd love to hear a little bit about how you've navigated this new path for yourself and taken what you needed from that foundation, but Mm -hmm. 
but made it apply to your current and modern life? So for me, when I became single again after marriage, and I mean, I basically say I had an arranged marriage by the church because it was customary for you not to really date anyone unless you thought that you were going to marry that person. So you had already kind of been around them, gotten to know them a little bit in a group setting, you know, some sort of spark. And then you had to ask the pastor for permission to date. And, you know, there was just these layers of things. So I always say I kind of had an arranged marriage. We only dated a couple of weeks before we were engaged and then got married five and a half months later. And you will find that in that group because we can't have sex. (laughs) People want to get it in. How old were you? (laughs) How old were you, Deb, when, when you got married? 23. So I was a little older than some. So then fast forward 19 years of marriage, four adopted beautiful kids. And, and, and even even our marriage lasted way too long because of the religious upbringing because divorce was just not an option. And it really took my ex-husband being really bold and brave to say, you know, we just can't keep on. And I'm grateful for that, actually, and decided that I could redesign my life. But part of me kept thinking, gosh, I'd really like to have sex. I don't know if I want to get married that in order to have sex with my second person ever, right? So that is really kind of the anchor. And that's why the book is a, a lot about sex. The latter half is me kind of going through this whole process of exploring sex with other people and seeing, do I feel guilty? Do I feel all the things the church told me, you know, that I was going to have a soul tie with any person I ever had sex with? And, you know, was I going to be able to break that tie? And did I feel guilty when I came away from that? first post-divorce experience, you know, what did I like? So that actually helped me break down all that teaching that I had. Because I mean, a lot of the teaching growing up in a church like that is about purity and sex and not making your brother stumble because you're wearing, you know, a V-neck shirt, (laughs) you know, I mean, just all kinds of things. Oh my gosh, I'm wearing a V-neck shirt. You are. And I've been lusting for you this whole time. (laughs) Obviously, obviously. Right. right? Um, Mike Pence better not have lunch with me (laughs) without his wife present. But that, you know, that made total sense because I came from that very thing of where, like my husband and I had a pact where the only time I was ever allowed to be alone with a man was if my car broke down the side of the road and I was desperate for help. Cause you know, of course we didn't have cell phones back when we made that agreement. <laughs> of course. <laughs> it also should be said that Deb is now wearing a V-neck shirt in a way. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a crisscross pattern, but that's a V-neck girl. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I have no issues with that stuff now, but yeah. So for me, the process of really finding myself post-divorce was, going through this whole dating process. And that's how I ended up becoming a dating coach. You know, it really was a whole process. And, and, you know, where I've landed now, as far as religion goes, is that I am of the religion of love. It just comes down to that for me. I like that. Can I get um, baptized into your church then? Yeah. (laughs) Because I'm with you. I'm with you. That's right. That's right. But I firmly believe this, Deb, that love is the force that drives everything that connects us that makes us go to war that makes us Mm. leave crappy comments on other people's instagram that makes (laughs) us you know want to be better i think love is the driver for everything and 
that is why I keep talking about empathetic dating because I think we are in a real exactly. critical period of the erosion of empathy. And it's the key. Right. And I think swiping has created that, you know, like I've worried for a long time and that's not that I'm. Oh, a lot of things have created that, Deb. <laughs> well, sure. But there's something that has to happen to your brain when we are constantly treating people as commodities. Like you're shopping for people the same way you shop for shoes. You know, that does something to your brain. It oh, dehumanizes sure. them. And so that's what, you know, like one of my cards even says, let's bring humanity back to dating again, because, you know, I think we have lost humanity. We have said, well, okay, if this person doesn't fit perfectly into this neat little thing, then, you know, I have no use for them. Girl, I, we could talk forever about I this, know. but we'll have to have you back on the show and we can talk more about it. So yeah. I want to understand about your coaching. Tell me about your coaching program. Are there certain times when people can enroll? Well, I do several different things, but most of my clients go through my 10-week program, which is the one we mentioned before, where we get you in the most perfect place to date. And a lot of that is assessing your values and what you really want and designing your own relationship and then being able to communicate that. So there's no, there's no certain time you sign up. I do only one-on-one -on -one coaching. And so I'm an introvert and I've found that if I'm in group coaching, I don't get the best bang for my buck because, you know, the extroverts take all the time in the room. And so I've just decided I'll only do private coaching. So, and I'm pretty flexible. I can do it virtually or I do a lot of in-person. I mean, not as much with the pandemic, but I'm in Raleigh, North Carolina. Wonderful. It's perfect because I'm an extrovert and I, and I only do groups. So right, right. <laughs> we fit together. We are That's like right. two sides right. of the same coin. Same Deb. coin. Oh, Deb, it's so nice to have you here. I really, I so admire your work and oh, I so appreciate your support of Dates and Mates all these many years. Thank you, Deb. Oh, thank you, Demona. You can find out more about Deb at kissofperspective.com or check her out on the socials at Kiss of Perspective. Of course, we'll put the links in the show notes. In a moment, I'll be back to answer your listener questions, including my dyslexia makes it difficult to keep up with the fast pace of texting. Any tips on how to date without feeling the pressure? And I'm grown and sexy. So what's wrong with having sex on the first date? Mm, it's going to be a hot one. Stick around. It is literally my favorite time of the week when I get to answer your questions. We have two spicy ones on the docket today. Dear Demona. Demona, help me. Our first question is an email from a listener named S. She says, hi, Demona. My question for you is when is the best time to come forward and tell a man that I'm dyslexic? It's no joke. It's been a struggle my whole life. I'm no dummy, but just a slow reader and an awful speller. Thank God for spell check and audiobooks. I'm with you there, S. I am a professional esthetician and I've been self-employed for 20 years. I know how to work around it and most of my clients don't have a clue. But when it comes to an intimate relationship, I can't hide it. I feel like I've explored every option. Not telling is definitely a bad idea, but telling too soon can be a slippery slope. I've never been married, and I always feel like this dyslexia has put off some dates and a couple of ex-boyfriends. I would love to meet a man that will be understanding and patient. I took the last two years off after an ugly breakup, and now 
I feel like trying. At 51, I have shied away from starting any dating apps because of setting up my online profile and the fast pace of texting. S, thank you for sharing that with us. We have such an ableist society, as Dr. Drew was saying on last week's episode. And as a society, we don't make accommodations for people like you who have different challenges, different diagnoses. So even though someone listening right now may not be able to relate to having dyslexia, they can certainly relate to feeling like they have this thing about themselves that's really vitally important that they don't know when to share it. And as you said, you're killing it, S. You are thriving. You have been self-employed for 20 years. That's hard enough as it is without dyslexia, but it is a true triumph and testament to your character that you have learned how to persevere and how to be successful in spite of this daily challenge that you live with. And of course, anyone who is in a relationship with you has to be understanding of that, has to be supportive of that, has to honor that and acknowledge you for everything that you have created in your life. But you're right. And as I've said on the show before, information needs to be earned, right? So we don't want to let someone know too soon if it doesn't impact the immediate experience on the date. Here's what's great about technology, S. You have so many tools now to help you. And man, the world is really changing. Like, both of my kids actually have different diagnoses. I won't get into all of it here on the show, but it's amazing how much schools today really acknowledge different ways of learning, different challenges that kids have, and they are being set up for success. They are being bolstered in a way that, unfortunately, when you and I grew up, it was not available. But back to technology, it is awesome because there are so many tools that can help you to learn and move through the world in your own way. You mentioned spell check and audiobooks. There are also, as you know, apps that will read to you, will read a text message or an email to you. I'm sure you probably use that. And there's no shame, S, in using these tools. That's the big shift that I see in my kids' school is that, like, so many of the kids have different challenges and accommodations that it's not a shameful thing, which is, I think, is how it was presented when you and I were younger. Like, I've just discovered myself, I'm an aural learner, which means I learn through my ears. No shock that I'm a podcaster, a duh, but it still took me literally until about, I don't know, five years ago to realize that I do not retain information very well when I read. I do not have a dyslexia diagnosis, but I realized that I just do better if I can hear something. So I've started really leaning on some of these tools. I've started sending voice memos over sending texts with written communication. And you know I'm a big fan of using the voice anyway. I think you can tell a lot more by actually hearing someone's voice. So if you can't text as fast as they like to text, let them know, I really prefer it when I can hear your voice or it's easier for me if I just send you a quick voice memo and you can send that right within your texting app or WhatsApp or whatever mode you're using to communicate. So use these tools and don't use them assuming that the other person is placing judgment on you for them. And sometimes people will just pick up on the way that you like to communicate. So if you 
pick up the phone and just send a voice memo instead of texting, he might be like, oh, this is great. I actually get to hear her voice and may send a voice memo back. But if not, you always have your app that will read the text back to you. So use these tools first before you even communicate what the challenge is to the person that you're dating. Lean on these tools a little bit more. You've figured this out in your work. You know your workarounds in work. Use the similar workarounds in dating. And then when you become comfortable with someone, when you feel that you can trust them, and when it's information is shared on a need-to-know basis, when you feel like it is impacting the date or it is a time when you feel safe enough with that person, just share it. But share it like it's not an issue. This is the thing that I live with. It is a triumph. It is actually a demonstration of just how strong and resilient and incredible you are. And when you get that into your mind, S, and you operate from that place instead of thinking of it as this thing that you have to hide that has held you back, then everything will open up to you in dating. And you'll see that while it may have gotten in the way for your ex-boyfriends, or it may be a completely unrelated issue that now, in retrospect, you overlay as a roadblock to the relationship working out. But none of those things may be true. But here's one thing I know for sure, S. It is no longer true for you going forward because your mindset changes today. This one is an email from a listener named N. N says, what if you connected on your first date and then spent the night together? At 50, I feel old enough to make a decision like this. Is it bad to not slow down? Does it always blow the relationship? What is the statistic? What is a good timeline? And what do you say to that person? Oh, you know I love statistics, and I would love to give you a real statistic on this, but I'll be honest, I don't have the stats on this. I can tell you generally, for the people who've done my program, it is abundantly clear that when you delay physical intimacy, you get to know each other on a deeper level. And without giving you a specific stat, I can say for sure that most of my clients who wait to have sex are more satisfied in their relationships and they last longer. Now. You may be the exception to the rule. And so I don't even want to place in your head for one second that this decision that you made, N, was wrong. There's nothing wrong with having sex. There's nothing wrong with having sex on a first date. So I am not going to sex shame you. You will not get that on this show. Mm -mm. And I'm not going to tell you to second guess a decision that's already been made. I tell you best practices and overall trends and what I see if you are like we've been talking with Deb about designing your relationship. If you're designing the path, I can tell you, this is the general path you want to follow. That said, I have all of these rules and systems that I have used myself and so many of my clients have used. I'll be the first to admit, I broke a ton of my rules when I met my husband. I had two drinks. I had a really strict one drink maximum. I had two drinks when I met him. I let him walk me to my car. I mean, I, in the moment, made the decision Two, I know what the rules are, and the rules have helped me learn dating, because remember, dating's a learned skill. I have learned to get to this point, but now I'm taking in this information about this person and the situation that I'm in right now, and I'm going to make the right choice for me in this situation in this moment. And that's what you did. And that's what you were feeling. And 
we're going to let that be okay. So I'm not dating Nostradamus as much as I would love to be. (laughs) So I can't predict the future of this relationship. But what I'll say you have to work on if you have physical intimacy first is once you break the seal, girl, it's kind of always there. So like most of your dates, the expectation will be for you two to have sex. And if you want to pump the brakes and roll that back and have intimacy without sex, you might need to be really specific and spell that out, or it could create some animosity over his expectations. The other thing I will say is you're going to have to really work to get to know him on a deeper level and get him to, to share intimate details. Because once you have the sex, you can always go to sex, right? And and <laughs> all roads lead to sex. So it's just, it's hard to back up the relationship once you're already there. That said, it's been done. It's been done before. And so I want you to just remember to design the relationship from here. And you are absolutely old enough to make a decision. So whatever you choose is the right choice for where you are right now in your life and with the information that you have. And that's something I want everyone to remember. You are always making the best choice that you can. It doesn't mean it's going to get you the outcome that you want, but I don't want anyone beating themselves up over any decisions that they made that led to a different outcome that they expected because you made the right choice for you in that moment. Otherwise, you wouldn't have made that choice. You would have gone a different direction. So we all get to learn from this playbook of life. And good for you, N, for getting it in. (laughs) I hope you enjoyed episode 401 of Dates and Mates. Man, that that feels kind of weird to say. 401. Four, should I say 401? I don't know. It's new. It's new. We passed 400 last week. Oh, it's so exciting. Thank you for joining me today. And thank you for those who participated in our 400th episode celebration. It was a really special week. If you haven't heard last week's episode with Dr. Drew Pinsky, go back and give it a listen. It's one of my favorites ever, but certainly one of my favorites for this season. And if you haven't sent in a question lately or ever, I want to hear from you. You can DM me at Demona Hoffman on all the socials. Leave that voice memo that I was talking to S about. And I would love to hear your voice. I'd love to put your voice on the show. I would love to hear your questions. You can also send me an email. You can give me a call. Leave me a voicemail at 424-246-6255. And then I can get your message anytime, day or night, because I am here to help and serve you. We'll be back next Tuesday, like clockwork, with Molly Owens. She is the CEO and founder of Truity. And get this, y'all. She's developed a revolutionary new take on the love languages. Her new love styles will absolutely blow your mind next week. Don't miss it. Until then, I wish you happy dating.